0: Several years ago, a church member approached me and he looked very, very worried and very concerned, said he hadn't slept much. So I asked him, what is the problem? And he said, I'm afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, that's quite a statement for a person to make. And I said to him, is it really, really troubling you? He said, I, I can't sleep. I, I don't know if I'm right with God. And so it is with many people today. They're really not sure. And one of the things that concerns them the most is this idea about the unpardonable sin. But let's pray together as we consider God's word concerning this question loving father as we study this topic we pray for your spirit to direct us and to guide us we ask it in jesus name amen now i should tell you right from the get-go that according to god's word jesus has left us many precious promises and one of the promises that he left us is found in first john 1 9 and it simply says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness now according to the bible we read in revelation 22 and verse 17 that god is through his spirit appealing to the hearts of people in fact in revelation 22 verse 17 the last chapter of revelation it, it actually ends up with an invitation and the invitation is this the spirit and the bride say come and let him that hear say come and let him that is a third come and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely God doesn't want anyone to be lost That's why he made such a great sacrifice, so that everyone could be saved. The problem is not what God wants. The problem is the choices that you and I need to make in reference to our salvation. And so, that's why the scripture is filled with warnings. In fact, Jesus left a very, very somber warning, or solemn warning, in Matthew chapter 3. 12 and verse 31 and 32 which actually address the question as to the unpardonable sin notice what it says wherefore I say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now obviously, that is a very strong, strong incentive for any one of us to take seriously what Jesus is admonishing. Now, I want you to notice something important here before I go on. Some people assume that the Spirit is Jesus or a part of Jesus. But this verse does not support that idea. This verse supports the idea that they are two separate entities or two separate uh, beings. Because it says, you can speak against me, Jesus speaking, and it shall be forgiven you. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, they shall not be forgiven you. Obviously, then, if the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and it is just another form of Christ, then he's double talking. But Jesus does not double talk. And therefore, there are two separate beings that are being addressed here. One, the Son of Man, which is Jesus, and the other one, the Spirit of God. And so I think it's important for us to make a separation. Now in reference to sin, some people think that the unpardonable sin is, is killing, but we know that Moses murdered the Egyptian. We also know that Paul killed many Christians and yet both were forgiven and both found salvation. Some people think it's adultery, but we know that even with the terrible outcome of adultery that divides homes and destroys the lives of so many yet we know that David committed adultery and yet we understand that David still found peace with God after his adultery some people think it's the terrible cursing of God I've known people who have said I've just cursed God I cursed God and can a person be forgiven for that The question that or the answer to that question is simply this the Apostle Peter in uh, that moment when he was being tested by the people in that evening when Christ was being tried and Peter was had snuck in to try to witness what was going on they began to say to him that he was one of those and he forgot that Jesus had told them that he would deny Christ three times before the crow would, uh, the rooster would crow twice. What's amazing about it, the, that is this: that in order for Peter to put a distance between him and Christ, what he did was he began to use language that was not appropriate, cursing, and as he began to use foul language to give evidence that he had nothing to do with Christ. Rooster then crowed and it reminded Peter of what Jesus had said and Peter went out and wept We know that Peter was forgiven because later on Peter became one of the great apostles to the What is called the circumcised of the Jews and so it's not Killing it's not adultery nor is it cursing So if it's not any of these then what is the unpardonable sin? First of all, in order to understand the uh, the, the subject of the unpardonable sin, it's important for us to understand what or who is the Spirit of God. And there's some confusion about that in these days, but I'd like to make it as clear as I can. In fact, in the reference to the rooster, I want to make it so clear that it will be clearer than a rooster can crow. And so we will look at the Spirit. For, I'm going to share with you, I uh three slides and these three slides all have to do with the spirit. And I want you to know this number one. The Bible says that the spirit was present in creation. It doesn't say who it is. It just says he the spirit of God was there upon the face of the deep. And that's Genesis chapter 1. Then, the Bible says that the Spirit is present in the, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, verse 17, we quote it, where it says that the Spirit is inviting people to come. We know then that He wrestled with sinners in the days of Noah. The Bible says that, that the Spirit should not always strive with flesh and so we know he was present in the antediluvian times we also know that he enabled something called the gift of prophecy something that we'll study later on but that the gift of prophecy was simply god spirit speaking through prophets who wrote down what we call today the bible he gave wisdom in Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, he gave skills of workmanship. Uh, Baziel uh, was given the ability to start doing uh, magnificent artwork, and he actually was responsible of construction the what is called the tabernacle or the sanctuary. The Spirit of God then gave uh, superhuman strength to Samson. Uh, We know that when the Spirit would come upon him, uh, Samson could do extraordinary uh, things in strength. The Spirit of God also can uh, give a new heart. We know that he gave the first king of Israel a new heart. We know that he also instructs. He gives uh, tangible instruction. He is also separate from Christ because the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, that the Spirit of God came and rested upon him in the form of a dove. So uh, he is distinct from Christ and the Father. He replaces expulsed evil spirits. In other words, when the evil spirit is actually cast out, the Spirit of God is the one that takes the place of that expulsed spirit. He is called God. And uh, the title God is given to the Spirit just as is given to the Son and is given to the Father. He is referred to as He. He dwells also within. Uh, he replaces Christ on earth, uh, as Jesus himself stated. He comforts, which means he has to be capable of sensing despair. He teaches, able to process and disseminate. Uh, He testifies. He's able to witness in order to testify. In other words, he has to be there present watching and seeing what's happening and hearing what's happening in order for him to tell what did take place. He reproves, which means he uh, can tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. He guides into truth. He hears the ability to receive and interpret. He speaks Uh, it must be able to communicate. The scriptures also say that he shows or gives visions, and is very well acquainted with futures, events. He commands; he has authority to give order or direction. Can be grief, which means he has to have feelings, like a parent with grief over a wayward son. Uh, he can be sin against; can be quenched from the heart. Uh, Brings to remembrance. In other words, he has to be able to store and then recollect uh, And know precisely what is stored in some recipients memory, you know to bring back what that person put there He makes intercession according to uh, Romans 8 and verse 26 and 27. He gets power He's a witness uh, he directed the New Testament Church in the book of Acts. You will see it over and over and over and over again, the, the term, the Holy Ghost, or the title of the Holy Ghost, or the Spirit of God. He gives spiritual gifts. He gives spiritual gifts in the Old Testament, and he gives spiritual gifts in the New Testament. He imparts faith according to 1 Corinthians 12, 9. And he, he is the one that seals the believer in terms of salvation, and he sanctifies. So there you have 35 points concerning this uh, wonderful being called the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, which sometimes is said. Now, obviously we cannot see the Holy Spirit. We cannot touch him or or, uh, hear him audibly. However, because Nicodemus, one of the leaders of Jerusalem, did not understand what Jesus was talking about in, when Jesus was using spiritual language saying to him you must be born again and Nicodemus uh, actually remonstrated against that and how can these things be Jesus then recognizing that the poor man did not have spiritual discernment though he was religious Jesus then used this analogy and this is very interesting Jesus said to him the wind bloweth where it listeth, which means where it wants to and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell from whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit." In other words, you uh, may not be able to see wind, but you can tell that there's wind, because a tree may be moving, or a thing may be being blown uh, around, uh, or it may blow on you, and your, or your hair is moving. So you may not be able to see it or see him but the reality is that though you cannot see he's just as real as the air we breathe uh there are many things in life that we cannot see but that doesn't mean they're not real right now uh as the coronavirus is going around you cannot see the coronavirus but there's no question that it exists as it's created a pandemic around the world So there are many, many things that we don't see, but they are real. The Holy Spirit, then, Jesus compares to the wind, which means then that he is not seen, he is felt, he is experienced. Now, uh, let me give you some examples. Because one time I was studying uh, with a lady who was of a Jehovah Witness faith. She had been a Jehovah Witness for 35 years. And one of my students asked me to go with him to help him with his lady, because he felt that his knowledge was not sufficient. So uh, I sat with the lady and, and asked her what the spirit was. She said, "Well, it's like a current, uh, like electricity, in essence." So I then turned her to the book of Acts, chapter ten, and in the book of Acts, chapter ten, uh, the story there is of Peter having a vision and the vision troubled him because the vision was suggesting that he do something that he had never done he spent all his life uh, until then as as a jew which means that he did not eat unclean things and even more so when he walked with christ he did not eat those things who were unclean and so when the voice said peter kill and eat he was troubled by it and the bible says that uh, he was up on the rooftop, and uh, when he came out of uh, the, the trance or the vision, he was wondering about the vision, still wondering what it meant. And finally, the Bible says, and I had her read it from her New World Translation. And uh, here's what what it says: While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, "Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down." And Go with them doubting nothing for I have sent them now notice When she read it, I asked her who's speaking to Peter. She said the Lord Well, I knew that she was reading it with Jehovah's Witness glasses So I said read it again carefully So she reread it and this time I said who's speaking to Peter. She said the Spirit. I said well does that sound like an essence a current or like a person she said it sounds like a person and Notice what the person says he is actually telling Peter what to do Peter I want you to go down there meet those strangers don't ask any question because I Have sent them now the word I suggest then that this is the person speaking not some essence of current. the lady began to cry when she saw that She said, is that why I have felt so uncomfortable with the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses? I said, yes, because what has happened is that they have taught you that it is like a current or an essence. And when you have felt conviction about things that trouble you, you have not listened to it because you do not realize that it's the Spirit of God actually working and speaking to your heart. Well, she said, what should I do? I said, accept the reality that the Spirit is God speaking to you and not an essence of current. We knelt down together and the lady, as she wept, accepted the truth of the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps you have been confused about the Spirit of God. Perhaps those of you who are listening have been confused about that. But I want you to be absolutely clear that the Spirit of God is the third person of the Godhead. What did I say? the third person of the Godhead. Now, having said that, God says that he is the Comforter. Notice it said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So, Jesus then makes it plain that the Spirit Is an entity or a person that will be comforting the hearts of the followers of Christ because Christ knew that he would be leaving now notice it said when he has come he will reprove the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment so the one who brings conviction to the human heart that troubles the conscience that enlightens the mind, is the Spirit of God. But notice it says he convinces the world of sin. What else? Of righteousness. And what's the third thing? Of judgment. Sin, what's wrong? So sometimes if you don't know what is wrong, the Spirit of God can help you to realize that what you're doing is wrong. So the Spirit of God convicts you. The second point is righteousness. A contrast between wrong and right. The conscience must be educated, instructed between what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes you may grow up in a culture that may call something right uh, when in reality it is wrong. Sometimes you you may grow up in a culture where something is wrong and it's been called right or right and it be called wrong. But in order to get Equilibrium between right and wrong you have to depend upon the Spirit of God that actually is the one to convict you or reprove you or convince you of sin what's right pardon me what's wrong righteousness what's right and Judgment that's an interesting word It means the decision that must be made between the right and the wrong in other words The Spirit of God brings conviction to you. It's up to you to choose If you're going to obey or disobey. If you're going to listen or give a close ear. If you're going to respond or reject. In either case, the choice is yours. But it's the Spirit of God that brings that to your attention with the hope that you will make the right choice. And I want to tell you this. God never convicts an individual just to frustrate the individual or to torment the individual. God brings conviction because along with the conviction as to what is sin in your life, it brings the power to overcome that sin. So it's good news. When you feel conviction, don't seek to move away from it. Rather, seek to accept it because by accepting it, you will receive the power to overcome that which you now know or convinced is wrong. I'm thankful that God loves us sufficiently enough to want to help us make the right choices. He doesn't force us, but He convinces us of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment that we need to make. So, in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth you cannot understand spiritual things unless the spirit of god is the one to unlock in your mind that which is spiritual and so that's why it says he will guide you into all truth now the bible then is the source of truth and so the spirit of god is the one that guided people to work this together so it becomes what we call the bible since the Spirit of God is the one that inspired the Scriptures, and Paul says that all scriptures inspired by the Holy Ghost, then it is clear then that He will guide you into all truth. And Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. And if He makes you free, you shall be freed indeed. Then it says, He shall not speak of Himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. Wonderful to know that the Spirit of God is working in cooperation with Christ, the Son of God, to bring us into a life that's in harmony with God and that brings peace to the heart and mind and gives comfort and helps us to know the kind of things that are taking place and that are to come so that we can find hope. Thank God for the Spirit of God. So, since now we know what the Spirit of God is, the third person of God here, and since now we understand that He is an actual living being who speaks to the conscience, appeals to the heart, and instructs the mind so that we can understand spiritual things, then, now that we understand that, now we can go to the question, How is the unpardonable sin committed? Well, Let's consider some examples in the Old Testament. We find uh, a king the first king of Israel his name was uh, Saul Saul was working with Samuel Samuel was a prophet of God and Saul became the first king of Israel now Samuel being the prophet of God Through the Spirit of God was instructed that Saul would be the king of Israel and so Samuel said to to the uh, this future king that god would give him a new heart and the scripture says then that when saul turned away to um, uh, move away from samuel to go on his way the bible says in verse 9 and 10 in first samuel chapter 10 and it was so that when he saw had turned his back to go from samuel god gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass that day and when they came thither to the hill behold a company of prophets met him and the spirit of god came upon him and he prophesied among them so notice then that god's spirit actually was able to move upon king saul and change his heart so that saul then would be a person that would be a man after god's own heart however it didn't work out that way god can speak to a person god can lead a person god can direct a person but the person ultimately is the one to make the choice of which way he wants to go god does not want robots that follow him. God wants a relationship of love between the, the sinner and the Savior. And so, God changed Samuel, pardon me, Saul's heart. However, Saul became very, very independent in spirit. And even though God, through the prophet, would give him advice, Saul always did something different than what he was instructed to do and the problem was that the whole uh, spiritual um, tenet of what was taking place and the example of a spiritual leader that needed to guide Israel in in the spiritual walk uh, it was important for the leader to be doing that which was in harmony with God's will but because Saul was so independent every time that God asked him to do something through the spirit and the prophet unfortunately he chose to do something else and so he did that over and over and over again until the time came when God could no longer tolerate this uh, uh, disobedience and so God then did something strange The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 14 but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul what a sad story beautiful beginning terrible ending Saul had been given the privilege of being the the king of Israel Saul was given the opportunity to be the leader of Israel he could have been a faithful steward of all that God had given to him. But unfortunately, he used his abilities or his position, his title, uh, to do contrary to God's will. And finally, the Spirit of God could no longer bear with him. And the Bible says, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. The sad thing is this. that When the Spirit of God departed from that man that had been converted Who had had a change of heart because God changed his heart that an evil spirit took possession of Saul and no longer did Saul have the privilege of receiving the Spirit of God again he is a perfect example of one who committed what is called the unpardonable sin there was no returning back once he crossed the line once he went beyond the point where God could lead him, God had to leave him alone. And Saul then uh, found himself in a desperate situation. When he needed the counsel from God, he could not get it from God. God would not speak to him any longer because he had committed what is called the unpardonable sin. And the, the Bible says, So Saul died for his transgression in First 1 Chronicles 10.13. Which he committed against the Lord even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not you see that which he what kept not And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it So he He was left deserted God had to abandon him and Saul decided to go and get counsel from spiritists. And unfortunately, he ended up losing his salvation as well as losing his, um, his life. And so, terrible, terrible example of somebody who crossed the line. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. In other words, when a person Uh, happens to experience conversion he can only be converted because the Spirit of God is the one that's working on him and since the Spirit of God is working on, on his heart and he experiences a change of life he no longer desires to go this way he wants to follow God Then God leads that person day by day, speaks to him, reveals things to him. As he studies the word of God, he understands more and more of God's ways and direction. However, uh, there may come a time when the person can be tempted and yield to that temptation. And God's spirit will bring to the person's attention that which he has done wrong. Now the person can decide to change or can decide to um, harden himself against that which the Lord is trying to impress upon him. And that's what happened with Pharaoh, the um, uh, king of Egypt. If you remember, the Spirit of God through Moses was working on Pharaoh. The signs that were being performed were being performed to help Pharaoh realize that there was a God in heaven. And That he needed to respond but he hardened himself and he hardened himself and he hardened himself. He kept on re- Resisting 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 until he got to the place when he saw that He couldn't fight against God anymore, but he never actually yielded to God. He just simply decided, okay, you beat me uh, Get out of here and take your people out of Egypt. However, his heart was not changed. He could not change his own heart. That's something that God's spirit had to do. But because he rejected, 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 rejected. Finally, there was nothing that God could do for the man, even if he had obvious signs that God was real. So here's what takes place then. God says when a person who is a believer, Uh, does that which is wrong it brings grief to the heart of the spirit because sin will ultimately lead you to death but God wants to give you life so you can understand why heaven grieves over somebody who should be willingly follow those things that God has revealed to him now in Colossians 1 verse 21 to 23 Uh, it reveals the reality that the person can be walking in one direction and change his mind. Notice what Paul wrote. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have he reconciled. So, like Paul, who was beating up the Christians, persecuting the Christians Killing people in the name of God when he got converted He understood that From that wicked life. He was reconciled to God Then it says in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight in other words, the Lord has reconciled you to to him and through the the, uh, sacrifice of Christ uh, you have been now made unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. But notice verse 23, which is the important text here: "If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled." Now, that word "if" is a very small word, but has a great meaning. These things are yours if you continue. Uh in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So Paul says, All these blessings have been yours, and they will continue to be yours if you continue. Now there are some people who believe in something called once saved, always saved. And they may be sincere about their belief. It's a comfortable um, idea, but not really supported in scriptures, even though people try to find texts that say that. For example, I had a lady who one time uh, came to seek counsel from me. She was a different faith, different uh, denomination. And... um, she was a sister-in-law to one of my church members and she asked my church member if I would be willing to counsel her even though she was of a different faith. And uh, Perla, my church member, said, oh, he he, he, he helps anybody. So she came to, to visit me and she started weeping. And I asked her, "What was the, what was the problem? And she said, well, I'm concerned about my husband. I said, what's the matter with your husband? She said, well, He is, uh, he drinks a lot and uh, he is after other women. So I said to her, uh, asking her, uh, is your husband a Christian? "Uh, Oh, yes. I said, well, I'm concerned about his salvation. Oh, she said, I'm not worried about his salvation. He's saved. I just wish he quit running after other women and quit drinking. Well, She had a sincere belief that her husband was always saved. But a man who's drinking and a man who's running after other women is committing adultery. And according to the scriptures, is that good or is that evil? Well, I think you will agree with me that it's a great evil. And so she misunderstood what the Bible says. But let me make it clear here. I want you to notice this in hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 through 6 paul wrote for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the holy ghost and have tasted of the good word of god and the powers of the world to come let me ask you a question somebody experiences that would you consider that person to be a believer I would say absolutely but notice it says if they shall what's the next two words fall away is it possible then for somebody who has believed who has accepted who has been converted to fall away the Bible says if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shape in other words If a person uh, decides, even though they've known what was right and what was true and all that, to turn away and to practice sin, that person is no longer with God. God may still have mercy on him. That person can still repent and come back. But if they continue in that track, if they continue... Uh, go in that direction, the scripture says, then, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. So it is possible then for a person to go beyond the point of no return. And that's what the Bible is trying to reveal to us. That's what the scripture reveals as the unpardonable sin. Notice that in the book of Jude, verse 5 and 6, is speaking to us about the people who came out of egypt in fact it also speaks about the angels in heaven who held uh, did not remain in the in the first estate in other words we know that the angels before the rebellion were faithful to god we know they were in a safe condition because they were with god however we know that angels can fall because we have a demon a devil and his angels who have rebelled against god and if 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 it's possible for angels to fall there's no question that it's possible for men to fall and so it says i will put you there for remembrance though you once knew this how that the lord having saved notice that having saved the people out of the land of egypt afterward Destroy them that believe not. So they came out, they followed, and then they turned back. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, they have reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So it is possible for a person to experience a great miraculous de- deliverance of God. It is also possible for a person to turn away from God. Another example, for example, is you have Noah, and you have Noah with three sons, correct? But we know that after the terrible uh, flood that destroyed the world, we know that after the great deliverance that God made for Noah, who was it that rebelled against the light that he had? Because obviously Ham had seen the miracles of the animals going into the ark obviously ham uh, saw the dry earth after the great devastation and he saw his father offering the sacrifices after all of that yet the bible reveals that poor ham lost his way so it's possible to be in the way and it's also possible to leave it that's why it's important for us to understand That we need to be constantly yielding to the Spirit of God and as he reveals things to us for us to follow The unpardonable sin is like an alarm clock How many of you have set your alarm to wake up in such and such a time and how many of you have put something called snooze on it? But here's what happens how many of you have, have had this experience, which I have had also? The alarm rings, and rather than waking up, you push a snooze button with the idea that you'll sleep a few more minutes, right? And then two hours later, you wake up and wonder what's wrong with your, with your clock. How come it didn't wake you up when you're supposed to wake up? Well, when you actually checked the, uh, the alarm clock, it turns out that it did ring again. The problem was that you got used to turning it off. And that's how it works with the Spirit of God. God warns. He yearns. He appeals. He pleads. But the time comes when you turn them off. You turn them off. You turn them off. You turn them off. And finally, you don't hear him anymore. That is the unpardonable sin. A sin that you and I never want to commit. So, as you've been listening to the Word of God from night to night, as truths have come to your heart from night to night, and you've been convicted and convinced that this is the truth, this is the way, then follow it. Because it's the Spirit of God that enabled you to believe. It's the Spirit of God that has convicted you that it's truth. And so walk in that light that you have. So the Bible says, quench not the Spirit, now there are two ways that a person can commit the unpardonable sin one is called the sin of commission that is that you're doing 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 that which is wrong or the sin of omission that is that you have been convicted to do something and you decide not to do it and not to do it and not to do it god says go this way and you decide you're not going to do it god reveals that you ought to do something and you decide you're not going to do it the Spirit of God keeps on impressing but the conviction becomes less and less and less and less until finally You end up not having any conviction anymore. And that's why some people's conscience has become what we call seared uh, It's because they have not been willing to yield to God In not doing what God has asked or in doing that which God has asked him not to do Stephen before he was, he died, as he was being stoned, uh, probably as he was about to be stoned, he said to the people, ye stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your father did, so do ye. You understand what's happening here. Stephen had just revealed to them the whole truth about Christ and rather than yielding to the conviction they fought against it and finally stoned him to death and so a person can be stiff neck Jesus then said in John 12 verse 32 part of me verse 35 walk in the light why it says yet a little while is the light with you notice not a long while A little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness, knoweth not whither he goeth. And so you can see then that God encourages us to walk in the light. Have you received light during these presentations? It's not because I have brought the light to you. It's the spirit of God that has quickened your mind to understand them and see them as truth, as in verity, the Word of God. So God's Spirit delights in guiding. God's spirit delights in teaching. and he rejoices when you and I respond and yield to that which has been brought to us. And we experience joy as well. At first there's conviction which brings sorrow, but, but it says Godly sorrow. Uh, bringeth about a repentance that you don't have to repent of. Wonderful to know that God is willing to work with us. But listen. It's important then to acknowledge when we do sin. Because the Bible says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth his sins shall and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Do you see that? Shall have what? Mercy. In the book of James, chapter 4, 17, it says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There was a young man who um, was at a meeting of Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was an evangelist in the city of Chicago. And this particular night, as he was preaching, he noticed that there was a certain young man in the audience who was being moved by the spirit of God. And by the way, once you become acquainted with how the spirit of God works, uh, you can watch in an audience and tell whether or not somebody is being spoken to by the spirit of the Lord or not, whether or not con- there's conviction that's awakening in that person. So Dr. Moody, as he watched the young man, could tell that the young man was nervous and uh, he was not. He was kind of fidgety in the in the pew. And finally, when uh, Pastor Moody was shaking people's hands as they were leaving, the young man was coming by and Pastor Moody grabbed a hold of his arm and said, Young man, I noticed that God's Spirit was speaking to you and I, I noticed that you did not respond. You did not make any move toward him. Why don't you give your heart to God right now? And the young man said, Mr. Moody, uh, you know, all these people are around me and uh, I, I really want to do it. So uh, don't worry about it. I, I will make my decision. But young man, why don't you do it right now? He said, I, I feel uncomfortable here, but I promise you, I, I will. I will make my decision, Mr. Moody. And so he left. Well, a few weeks later, Pastor Moody was walking down the streets in Chicago. And who did he run into? The young man. And uh, Pastor Moody said, Hey, young man, I aren't uh, you that young man that was in the meeting? Said, yes, Mr. Moody. He says, uh, Well, you remember you said you're going to make your decision that you already do that. Uh, you, Mr. Moody, uh, listen, I, I've been so busy. Business is really, really booming. And uh, I just had no time for, for, for that. Uh, so Mr. Moody said, Well, look, we're right here right now. Why don't you accept the Lord? Why don't you give your heart to him right now? Oh, Mr. Moody we're right here in the street open people are walking all over it uh, Listen, mr. Moody, I promise I, I will make my decision, but but not right now. Please. Please let me off right now All right young man Don't delay don't put it off. Give your heart to God. I I, I promise I will well Pastor Moody didn't hear from the young man for a long while until um He uh, one night was awakened about two in the morning somebody knocked on his door and said mr. Moody come quickly Uh, there's a family that's anxious for you to come to the uh, deathbed of of a person and so and and they they are really really anxious for you to come to see if you could bring is that young man that you talked to He's dying. Yes, and the family are requesting that you come quick. So Mr. Moody got dressed and um, They went over to the shore. There was a, a little boat waiting there because a young man owned an island right off the the, the um, In the lake there. So they took him to the uh, island. They rushed him to the house and there Pastor Moody uh, saw the young man and as a young man is there uh, with his eyes closed Mr. Moody immediately came close to the young man and began to kind of try to move him. It's Pastor Moody, it's Pastor Moody. No response. Young man, give your heart to God. No response. And so he then talked to him in his ear. Young man, have you given your heart to God? Give your heart to God now. No response. And then he saw the young man's lips moving. And so he put his ear close to the young man's mouth. And the young man was quoting Jeremiah 8 and verse 20. And here's what it says. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And I am not saved. Terrible words. The last words. From somebody who could have anchored himself in salvation. What about you? Have you heard the voice of God speaking to you? Has the Lord revealed something to you? Have you recognized these presentations as being straight from the Bible and you've been convicted and yet you're thinking that, well, I can't do this right now because or oh, I, I, if I do this, I'll lose out on that. Our friend, listen, there's nothing more important than your salvation. I was speaking to a businessman and I was trying to encourage him to give his heart to the Lord. And he began to tell me all of the reasons why he couldn't. And then I asked him the question, sir, I want to ask you a question. What is more important to you, your business or your salvation? I saw a tear come to his eye and say, my salvation. Friends, there's nothing more important than your salvation. God's Spirit has been speaking to you. Why not yield to him now? Why not say, Lord, take control of me? Help me to yield to you and to accept you. Will you do that just now? Let's pray. Loving Father, you know, How hard it is for us to yield to you, especially when self is in the way. But we pray, Father, that you'll give the victory to those who are hearing. And that they will yield to you. And allow your spirit not only to sanctify them, but to seal them for eternity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.